Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This podcast was funded by the Wellcome Trust, Chartered College of Teaching, and listeners like you. This episode's featured patron is Abby Zavos. Abby has a lifelong love of learning and is a self-described science nerd who cares passionately about education. Abby is married to a high school teacher and has a son who is almost 12. Over the last 10 years, she's watched as her son developed a deep passion for science and chemistry. She says as his interests developed, his excitement became contagious, and she began to wonder what was driving his love for discovering new things. She's not sure what the answer to this question is, but finds the theories and research on learning fascinating. Abby is also involved in politics in the state of Missouri. You can learn more about her at abbyzavos.com, and we'll put a link to the page on our show notes. If you like our podcast and want to support our efforts to spread the science of learning, please check out our Patreon, where we're posting exclusive content for our supporters. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to show your support. We're here at the Early Conference in London, and we're here with Jessica Massonnier. Would you like to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you and your research? Okay, thank you. Uh, So I'm Jessica, um, and uh, I'm attending this conference because I'm working in the field of um, psychology and education. So I'm working on the effect of noise on learning in primary school. So I'm actually doing a PhD. Uh, So I'm uh, basically in the middle of the PhD. Um, And before that, I did some studies in France, uh, in Paris. So as you can probably hear from my voice, um, and I kind of had this... uh, gap year during my master's when I discovered London and the research that was carried out in London. And that's when I decided to move in uh, and to try to do research here because um, I really appreciate the working environment. Um, And it's really exciting to be able to participate in this kind of conferences abroad as well. So you're located at University of London. So I'm from the Birkbeck University, yes. Um, but I also work closely with people from the Center for Educational Neuroscience. So it's like a, a group of researchers who are based in, at Burbank and also at UCL. Um, and basically it's just gathering people working uh, around education and learning um, with a psychology and neuroscience approach. So Yeah, so, so what is the research area, your research interests that you're, that you're working on now in your PhD? So if you think about the classroom, we kind of probably remember uh, the environment you were in when you were a child and it was very noisy probably uh, because children like to move, they like to talk as well uh, in spite of living of course and in spite of socializing and learning. Uh, And if you look at measures, so if you take um, what we call a sound level meter and you try to measure level of decibels in the classroom, uh, it can go really high. So for example, uh, on average, Um, A study that was carried out in London showed that uh, you have 72 decibels of noise in a classroom. So this is an average, so it can be lower and higher. And 70 decibels is like traffic noise, for example, or a vacuum cleaner, which is usually quite annoying. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Um, And to compare, for example, a quiet library would be 40 decibels and a concert, 100. Um, But concert is a bit extreme, obviously. So it's kind of noisy and often teachers talk about it if you if you ask them about the atmosphere in their classroom it can be quite tiring and so because it's so loud teachers can have issues to talk to pupils and they can get exhausted by the end of the day because they feel they are shouting and 
sometimes you also have this visual circle of because it's noisy I'm going to talk louder and louder and it's and it's worse so I, I was trying to understand how this noise could impact um, teachers but also pupils because they are directly concerned by it and uh, I'm trying to use different approaches so first to understand how it impacts on learning uh, because like surprisingly we don't know a lot about it so if you look at papers so it's the first thing you do when you start a PhD right you read a lot of papers and you try to see what has been done already um, and I found a lot of papers on the effect of aircraft noise for example or traffic noise um, because they happen outside of school and it's part of the neighborhood and uh, usually it's really annoying for people so a lot of studies that were um, really interesting I had to look at that showing that it can have negative impact on uh, for example, memory or attention. Um, and it's important to say that uh, sometimes it doesn't affect some learning outcomes. So it really depends on what you are studying. Um, but we we don't know a lot about the noise that is generated by pupils. So when they are just talking in a classroom or moving. Yeah, and we can all probably think of times. I, I mean, sometimes there are people talking and even if it's a little bit quieter, if you can hear what they're saying, that can be distracting. Sometimes if it's very, very loud, it ends up being almost sort of white noise. And so I imagine studying noise and learning ends up becoming quite complicated. Yes. Yeah, so, yes, you mentioned something important. So it really depends on what you're hearing. Um, so if you hear, for example, a private conversation, uh, it can really attract your attention. Sometimes it's not even loud. It's kind of just whispering and saying something secret but it's very interesting for you so it's going to capture your attention um, sometimes you also have like very surprising loud noise like a door slamming uh, and this is this can be very stressful because it's like very sudden and very loud or, or like what we're hearing a little bit at least while we're recording hearing in the background um, recording at this conference there's there's some background noise and some you know movement with the food and the treats and so we're hoping it's not coming out in the recording but <laughs> time will tell yeah so um and actually this is the kind the kind of noise that can make the transition to what a study that looked at coffee shop noise um, because this is kind of things, a mix of noise that's happening around you when you're trying to work. And one of my first studies during, first study during my PhD was looking at this kind of mixed noise where you have people talking at the background plus some movement plus maybe some food because um, there was a paper showing that it can improve adults' creativity, uh, that can give more original ideas and those type of noise. And I found that, that the article was really interesting because it was proposing ideas on why that can be the case. So you can have like an optimal level of distraction that could help you to think differently and to be original. So I tried to investigate uh, the effect of classroom noise, which is kind of, if you think about it, a bit similar to coffee shop noise sometimes because you also have like a lot of different people talking about lots of different things, plus chairs and... Chairs, desks, <laughs> pens, maybe, you know... Maybe some, some yelling, maybe some papers rustling, maybe food, yeah. Maybe food, I don't know if it's authorized, but <laughs> I guess some of them have like candies. Um, and basically, so this was in the lab and we asked some children to do a creative task. So to give you an example, if I talk about the bottle and I say, find as many unusual uses as you can think of for a bottle. 
So obviously you can use it to drink, but you can do a lot of fancy stuff. You can shake it. You can use it to um, attack someone. You can roll it on the floor. Yeah, children think about that. <laughs> it's not my idea. Um, you can cut it and make a, a doll out of it. You can do a lot of things. Um, and basically we, we, we ask these questions to children and we checked how many ideas they can propose and how original they were. Um, so we just ask people to rate if they think they were more or less original. And basically you derive a score out of that. So probably drinking from the bottle, not so original, but attacking someone, maybe a little bit yes. more original. A bit more, but not so original because a lot of people think about it, weirdly. <laughs> so some very original ones were like, I don't know, make a robot out of it. The first thing I thought of was watering a plant. I don't I don't know if that's original. Oh, <laughs> we can ask people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you place the same, the same person basically in silence and um, in a room with classroom noise. So we use recorded noise. This is important to say because it was not in the classroom. And we kind of compare how they did. Then you can control what the noise is for all of the people so that yes. the experiment is, is valid. Yeah. yeah, so that's one of the objectives of lab studies is that it's not the real condition in the classroom, but you also don't want someone to come and start to talk to the child while you are doing the, the study or you want to kind of check that they're exposed to the same type of noise. So it was like a first approach, like we control the noise. It was actually a classroom noise recording in the classroom, so it was not completely artificial. Yeah, we talk about the, the lab to classroom model a lot mm -hmm. and we've talked about it on this podcast before. And so, you know, the importance of doing those lab studies and then moving into classroom work so that you, you have both approaches. They, have, mm -hmm. they both have pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and yes, maybe we can talk about it afterwards, but now moving more to the, yeah. Yeah. To the classroom. But um, this first study was interesting because we could see that the effect of noise depends on what you're measuring. So if you count how many ideas children are giving, uh, basically they were giving the same amount of ideas in silence and noise. So it was around like eight on, to nine ideas in three minutes. So it was a very short task. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a lot already. Um, but then if you think about the originality of ideas, then it was uh, slightly evolving. So I'm very cautious about it because this study has not been published yet. So we're waiting to have some feedbacks about that. But they were kind of giving fewer ideas in noise in general. But um, it depends on what you're measuring. So they were basically giving the same amount of ideas in silence and noise, so around eight or nine, which is uh, already good for a test of three minutes. Uh, but they were giving less original ideas um, in noise. Uh, so this is the main thing if you look at all the pupils together. But uh, something that we had to look at was, is it the same for all children? Mm -hmm. And crucially, not necessarily. So it really depends. And we had to look at the attentional skills and the memory capacities of children, like how, how well can they deal with multiple information and a lot of things at the same time. Um, and basically for some children, they do better in noise, but it seems that if they kind of have sometimes lower attentional skills or lower working memory, they're gonna have uh, more difficulties. But it's really preliminary findings uh, because um, it doesn't explain everything, but it's, it was a first insight on indiv inter-individual differences because we know it's important in a classroom to, okay, we want like 
we want an atmosphere that would be good for most of the children, but we all know that there are individual differences. So the idea is not to say, oh, you don't need to have any noise because this is disturbing. Um, not necessarily because first, it doesn't necessarily have a negative impact, as I said, on the number of ideas, it was fine. And also because it depends on the child. Yeah, and just anecdotally, I, I know with my college students, often, you know, some will say, I have to be in total silence or I can't study. Mm. And some will say, I have to listen to music or I can't study. I have to listen yeah. to classical music. I can't have lyrics. I have mm. to be, I was one that in in university always thought I had to be in a very noisy coffee shop in order to study. There had to be background noise, but I, at least I thought, I, I don't know if it's really true in terms of my own learning and, and maximizing it, but my preference was to be in a loud place where there was a lot of talking, but I couldn't pick out what any one group of people was saying because mm -hmm. then I would just listen to their conversation and um, and that was distracting for me. But of course, that's that was my preference. I don't really, I never... I never did the controlled study on myself to know whether or not it actually made a difference or that was just my preference. And so this research is important to know, is it just that they like it or does it actually lead to better learning or, you know, less learning, more creativity, all of those things you mentioned? I was just going to add to that that my preference is also to be in a loud coffee shop. And I've even gone to the extent of downloading an app that had coffee shop noise that I could listen to while at home when I was too lazy to go to a coffee mm -hmm. shop. See, and I think part of it for me is wanting to be at the coffee shop. And I think the app would... I'd be like, no, this doesn't, this doesn't work. I have to, I have to be there spending money on coffee. Otherwise it was pretty <laughs> realistic. You feel like you're at a coffee yes. shop. Try it. It's very realistic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you can find a lot of sound files on the internet. I was surprised when I was preparing my studies. So you have um, coffee shop noise. You also have like uh, traffic noise. Um, so that I thought personally, I thought that it was not really nice, but then I, I had a look on the internet and a lot of people were com commenting saying, oh, thank you very much. It's helping me to sleep. It's awesome. <laughs> so you can find whatever you can find, like white noise, like just some shh everywhere. Some of it might have to do with associations, right? So if you, you know, if you are used to hearing traffic noise at night when you sleep, it might almost you know, sort of like the, the silence is deafening if you're not used mm -hmm. to it. Um, but of course, if you if you're used to being in complete silence, then I imagine, you know, going to a hotel in a city mm -hmm. with loud noise outside would make it very difficult. So you've talked about a lab study that you've done. Have you have you done some classroom work that you'd like to talk about? Yes. Yeah, so now um, I'm moving on to this more classroom-based research. Um, this was based on several observations. So first, uh, as we mentioned, when you use classroom noise, it's just a small part of the noise that children are exposed to. Uh, and also you kind of extract them from their environment. Um, so it can be a bit awkward, like you're playing some, no some noise suddenly and you just don't know how they, they feel about it. Um, so some children, like, they ask questions. Some, some children, they don't seem to notice a lot. Uh, so basically now I'm doing a study in France, so in the south of France, in Corsica. So if you don't know Corsica, it's an island uh, in the south. It's really nice to walk there. <laughs> I, you know what? I've not been to France, but it's somewhere that I really want to go. Yes. So it's a touristic place, yeah. So you have direct flights as well during summer. Oh, good to know. From London. <laughs> um, and basically, we we have put some boxes in classrooms to record noise levels, just a level, so we don't register any conversations, because obviously this is private, and that would be awkward. Uh, so we record the levels 
uh, during the day, so almost permanently, so that we can see the fluctuations. Uh, and also you can see, for example, that it's getting higher when they are heading to the playground or when the ring is uh, kind of working because it's really loud. Uh, so we kind of know the fluctuations better. And uh, an important part is that, so I've added a survey for our children so that they can say how they feel about it. So we measure their performance. Uh, we do like some math tests, in French tests, uh, attention, memory, and all these things. But we also ask them, Basically, if they found the classroom noisy, um, if they feel that they are distracted by noise, uh, and also some questions about their noise sensitivity in general. So, for example, uh, there is a question that is a bit funny where you ask them, um, like, if you go to a cinema, are you annoyed when people start to eat um, <laughs> around you? Or if you're at home, if you hear people talking around you, like, are you distracted? Um, and it was quite funny to do as well because I was, I was realizing I was saying yes to everything. <laughs> so maybe that's why I did a PhD on noise. <laughs> I don't know. You find, you find noise annoying. Yeah, in some situations, yeah. not all the time, but like in cinemas, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I just ask how old these children were? Yes, yeah, so they are, so it's the equivalent of year five and six um, in France. So it's uh, 10, 11, yeah, it's 10 on average. And it's the same age range than, same age than the lab studies so that we can compare but some lab studies also uh, look at younger children. But I, I try to always have this 10 years old um, sample common. And uh, basically based on this classroom study, we managed to have some preliminary findings. Um, and the first thing I tried to do is based on what children say about the classroom noise, uh, can we find different profiles or can we see differences between children who are more or less uh, annoyed by noise or distracted. Um, and you can see two factors that seems to be important. Um, so first, the ability to switch from one thing to another. So this was a mini questionnaire again when you say, basically, do you have troubles to start a new activity when you're already engaged in, in something? Or do you have troubles to switch from one task to another? Um, so we kind of say it in a child-friendly way, obviously. Right. Uh, but so if they have difficulties doing that, they tend to be uh, more annoyed and distracted by noise, probably because you have kind of all this information that you have to perceive and you have to switch from the noise to your task. Um, and also something that uh, I found interesting is that we had a mini questionnaire about mind wandering. So if they tend to think about something unrelated to the task. So if they're supposed to do their homework, but they think about um, football or they think about the playground or something else. Um, and children who had like a higher propensity for mind wandering, they also tend to be more distracted. They report to be more distracted. Um, and I find it funny because sometimes when you see some children who are kind of lost in their thoughts, you think that they're not perceiving anything around them. But it seems that, on the contrary, they are more vulnerable to distractions overall. But they're not necessarily annoyed, <laughs> maybe because they think about very positive things. Um, so, again, yeah, it depends if you look at distractions, if you look at feelings. So a lot of variability. Yes. So I was wondering about the tests that you mentioned of uh, math and French. Were those tests measuring the kids' baseline ability in those um, disciplines? Or were, they, were you seeing how that's affected by noise? Mm. So basically with this study, we can do both. So 
the thing I've just told you about with the switching and mind wandering things, these are measures that we are doing three times during the year, uh, along with French math attentional tests. Um, so we had a look first at how it was related to their sensitivity to noise. But then beyond this first analysis, we carried out interventions in the schools. Um, so we have two types of interventions. Uh, one about mindfulness. So uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a lot of exercises to try to calm down, to breathe, to stay focused. And the idea is basically to try and teach or propose children to control their behavior and be more aware of what's going on around them. Because often you have like teachers saying, oh, like make less noise or be quiet, but maybe they don't know how to do it because they are full of energy. So this, it was also like even qualitatively just attending these workshops. I didn't do them myself because I'm not like a mindful expert. So we hired uh, a woman that was professional and it was really interesting to see how they they got involved into that and they really played the game of uh, trying to be quiet. Uh, so it was really funny, like paying attention when they were like moving their chairs um, and so on. And the other type of intervention was about um, sound more specifically. So what is a sound? What is noise? Uh, talking about decibels. Um, how do we derive music from sound? And trying to raise awareness about our like, environment and the sounds in our everyday life. So it was not about controlling your behavior, but more kind of how you perceive the things. Um, and basically, after these interventions, we are repeating our measures. Uh, and we're going to see, by comparing classrooms with different types of interventions, if we see a difference in noise levels and also a difference in terms of math, French skills, attention, memory, and so on. So the idea would be, if the intervention alters noise level, you can then look to see how that alteration of noise level might have affected performance. Yes. Um, but there can be a lot of different things. So you can say it's going to change noise levels and then change performance. Maybe it's just going to change uh, their attention, but not necessarily noise levels, but still it can be beneficial. Uh, maybe they're going to be more aware of noise and they're going to be even more annoyed. So it can be an option as well. Yeah, well, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. And then it seems like you'll have a lot of applied information and that might be a time to then go back to some of those lab studies and start disentangling the some of those causal relationships among the different things. That's really interesting. If you were to give teachers or, or maybe parents and students just sort of one thing that they should take away from your work? What's, what's sort of the most important thing that they can apply to their own learning or the students in their classroom, their children who are in school, that sort of thing? What's sort of the big takeaway message from your work? So first of all, I would say, so since it's still a bit unclear if noise is positive or negative or in which circumstances, uh, depending on whether you look at learning or well-being, I can give some tips to raise awareness about noise and encourage people to think about it uh, instead of just saying what to do. But there are lots of uh, tools that you can use. So, for example, even the basic fact of downloading an application on your phone uh, to check noise levels um, is something interesting and it's funny. It's free and you can just see the noise levels around you. You can bring it... Um, 
in your in your street you can bring it in the tube tube is very loud mm -hmm. <laughs> in the classroom and at first when you share this information it can show children okay so now you're very noisy and visually they can see oh now it's kind of more quiet so they can have a feedback on what's hap what's going on um and then you can start a discussion about that um Yes, because it seems like even just awareness, if some children are annoyed and some are not bothered by it, it might help them even just be, you know, better citizens of the classroom to recognize, well, here's a time when we're being loud and some people are having a hard time in that scenario. Here's a time when we're being quiet. That might be good. Or maybe maybe it's not good in this scenario. Yeah, I think awareness, awareness sounds um, like a really good first step. And what was funny in the question is, so we asked them, um, how noisy do you think you are? How noisy do you think other people are? And obviously, they often say other people are noisy, <laughs> but not themselves, so it can be like a first step. Um, you can also work to identify uh, potential sources of distraction in the classroom and um, try to find solutions. So if you are really annoyed, for example, by the noise from chairs, like from in some classrooms that... It's just like metallic chairs and it's like even if you slightly move it's just making a lot of noise. And some teachers, for example, they use tennis balls. Mm. So you ask children to bring all the tennis balls in their house, you just cut them and you put them below the chair. So it's a bit of a funny design, but then it's quieter. And this is often the type of noise that is it's just not relevant for learning and yeah, yeah. And this also sounds like an area where there's a lot of a lot of new stuff that's going to be coming out and some some fresh new applications are are kind of around the corner. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and then so when this um, school study is going to be finished, so we're going to finish it over summer uh, 2018 and then we're going to take some time to analyze it. But if obviously we find some interventions to have uh, positive effects whatsoever on well-being or on learning, the idea would be then to create open source material uh, to just give it, send it away to teachers and families. So for example, the mindfulness exercises are going to be translated into English and they're going to be online. So if we have evidence to back up and to say that this can improve well-being, uh, we're going to share it even more, obviously. Yeah, that's great. That might be a good time um, perhaps for another interview <laughs> or um, having you write a guest blog about that because you know, there are lots of people who I think would be really interested in materials like that, especially if they're free and clear. Mm -hmm. That's great. So thank you so much for coming mm -hmm. to talk with us. This was really fascinating. Yes, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. <laughs> The Learning Scientist podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust and listeners like you.